Well, this is kind of fun because we can have this be uh, kind of a little bit interactive. And um, so, Jesus, may we hear your heart. May you speak to us. So, we really are going to talk about something I think that is on God's heart. And um, we live in an unusual world in that I don't know, I mean, I'm not a history major, but I don't know of any other period in history where questions of gender were a part of that culture. Um, in the last few years, we find ourselves in a world where people are wondering about things they've never, ever wondered about before. Um, but for some of you guys, especially, depending on the world you're in, maybe you have public school environment or just lots of media, you can tend to think that like something new has been discovered and everybody now realizes that we should be questioning uh, something and that if you really have knowledge, you would recognize that 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 gender is whatever, fluid or open to um, some kind of arbitrary choice. Um, and it's just, it's just good to back up and go, okay, there's been about 14 billion people that have lived on this planet. And essentially, none of them have ever been asking these questions. Um, and nothing new has been discovered it's just that people, for whatever reason in our world, are thinking something different. So that should give you guys real freedom to think with uh, uh, your own mind and, um, and, to, and to seek your own convictions. But it's also true, especially for you guys that are not parents here, you are in that phase of life and that's part of what DTC is about, up, you know, until up to you're about 11 or 12 or whatever, you really do and should live on your parents' convictions. Um, what they tell you, you should believe. They know way more about life than you do, and that's kind of how God's wired your brain, actually, to, to follow your parents. But in your teenage years, you go through a really important phase designed by God where you develop your own convictions. And you have to disconnect at the fundamental level from what your parents tell you. And you have to ask, is this mine? Is this mine? And that takes a number of years. Really, it, it, it can go on for many, many years. But your teen years are a key part of God's plan and purpose for that, for that process. For you to look out and reach out and go, hey, you know what? This is mine. And, um, uh, and so in a world that claims knowledge in lots of different areas, you will now have to engage with each one of those areas on your own. And certainly you can learn from your parents and you can, you can ask questions, and you can, but you can't avoid the fact that it, it, there's going to be this transfer. You won't be 25 going, I just believe what my mom and dad believe. When you're 25, you'll be going, I believe what I believe, and that's good. But you want to land in what's really true. You want to be in the right place. And, um, and so uh, 
you're going to discover on some of these areas of, of, of uh, God knowledge, you just have things you have to figure out. And all of all of them, nothing <laughs> is more um, anxiety, confusion producing really than the issue of gender. It's interesting that Greg shared that he hated eighth grade. Uh, I think it was eighth grade I hated. Um, almost everybody hates seventh or grade or eighth grade or ninth grade because you go through this profound change in your life and you're just trying to figure out all kinds of identity stuff and um, changes in biology and, and it's just a crazy time in life. And then you throw in a whole bunch of open-ended questions and it can be wild. So I just want to let you guys know that as you go through this, oops, Grady, I didn't get my clicker. Oh my goodness, I don't have a clicker. Grady's gone. Oh, it's on there? Oh, good. Um, so, we can ask, where do I get the truth about gender and life? Well, I can listen to all the voices in my head. Uh, but the reality is, there's a lot of different voices in our head. I mean, I got a ton of voices in my head telling me all kinds of things all the time. So if we look on the inside, if we go, I just got to look within to find the truth. And that's a lot of times what people even tell you about a lot of topics, but that's the, that's the wor word about gender, isn't it? Well, you just got to figure out, who are you? Look inside. Who are you? Who are you? Well, it all depends on what time of day it is and what's happened in the last 10 minutes because the voices change depending on what's going on in my life. I just think all kinds of things all the time. So I got way too many voices in my head to listen to the voices in my head. And if you're a healthy human being, you do too. Um, so in any area of life, but especially about gender, which is our topic here, you're not going to find truth that way. You're not going to reach a conviction on, I know what's true. And it's a crazy place to place your trust so you can listen to the voices in your culture. Um, and uh, we know that there's places to get absolute truth. You guys are old enough to know that. You get absolute truth. Where do you get absolute truth when you want to look out in the culture? Well, you get it from Google. Yeah, you Google it. And then you know the truth, right? And you know the truth is on the Internet. Why? Because every possible source of information is on the Internet. So something out there is true. Um, if there's a truth, it's on the Internet somewhere. Of course, there'll be a million other voices, too. Um, ah, interesting. I don't get any of my transitions. Okay, so this is not in PowerPoint. Oh, we may have things that are not going to work here. Um, but anyway, uh, when you listen to the voices in your culture, you know what you're really doing? You're just listening to the voices in everybody else's head. You're just listening to everybody else's voices in their head. And they don't know any more than you do. Um, and then ultimately, we can listen to God. And, and this is where it comes down to kind of what Greg shared. Uh, and... Um, when we try to figure something out, one of the things I've learned is that we don't so much trust in a bunch of facts. 
but we trust in a source. So we look around and go, okay, wait a minute, so who do I trust? Because there are a million voices out there. Who do I trust? And we pick a source and we go, I trust that source. And one of the fundamental decisions we have to make as believers is, do I trust God? Do I think that God and the Bible is a trustworthy source? Do I believe God's real? Is there really somebody out there? Um, is that verse true? Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. That, hey, there's a God that made me. Now, I deeply believe that. Someone made me. And I deeply believe someone made you. That's not just religious Bible stuff to me. I, I am fundamentally convinced it's true that every person is uniquely created by God because he loves you. He cares about you. You know, God only makes the people that he likes. If he doesn't like you, he doesn't make you. If you're here, you're here because he likes you. He is for you. And he showers compassion on all his creation. So when I look to God as a source of information, I go, I've made my decision. I fundamentally trust that source. I believe that what he tells me will be good. And that the very best I think I can do is find out as much as I can about his will and walk in that because he will not fail me. So as you guys figure out your own convictions over the next 10 years of your life, the most important thing you can do is decide what source am I confident about? And there's going to be a million voices projecting themselves at you saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I know the truth. I know the truth. I'm the good guy. They're the bad guys. And God says, I'm not going to shout. I'm a still, small voice, says God. I am a still, small voice. But if you decide to listen to me, I will not fail you. And of all the things you could own, it is coming to a conviction about, do I trust that voice? If I trust that voice, um, if I believe this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, that, wow, God's got good for me, that, that God delights in leading you down a life where you, when you're all done with it, you go, that was amazing, God. That was amazing. That's his desire. And, um, and, and so fundamentally, we make a decision, who is my heart decided to trust? That's why God says to us, first of all, what's the very first thing and most important thing God wants us to do? It's the most important thing God wants us to do. Yeah. Believe in him. But, but I'll even go beyond that. So let's say we do believe in him, and you're right. That's the first thing he wants us to do. What, what does he want us to do after that? Love him. That's the greatest commandment. Okay, is that because God's insecure and he just feels bad that nobody likes him? He's just up there kind of feeling insecure? No. He says, listen, love me, because if you love me, 
you'll track with me. The very safest place for you to be is for you to love me more than you love anyone else because if you love me more than anyone else, you'll track with me. And if you track with me, you'll be safe. But if you love someone else more, you love something else more, you're going to track with what you love. So God says, love me, love me, love me. Turn your heart, lock in, love me. Like Greg said, enjoy the mountains, enjoy the bluebells. Look at it, Jesus made that. Jesus made that. He made that and he made that. This is so amazing. I know this guy, he knows me. Draw your heart into that. Draw your heart into loving God. We can choose what we love. Um, and, and really we love what we give our energy to and our time to. So as you try to figure out life, as you walk into being your own individual person as an adult, um, be really careful about what you love. And God says, love me. So once we have that figured out, hey, God made me. God loves me. God will lead me to what's good. I don't know anything about life. God, you lead me. Tell me what's going on here. What do I need to know? Then we can go, all right, God, in this particular area, in this particular subject, what's the story? What do I need to know? And, and God tells us this, that he made gender to express different dimensions of himself. So when we look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, those are the verses that talk about God making human life, pretty much. Those, there's a couple others, but... Um, uh, Really, the sum of it's right there. And, and we look at those verses about him making us, and we learn so many astonishing things in those two verses. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So of all the creatures, different than the elephants, different than the giraffes, different than the whales, what's unique about you? Intelligence? Well, I don't know. There'd be people that argue with that. Dolphins can be pretty intelligent, supposedly. Could be. They really are. Um, crows are supposed to be really intelligent. But... but we're the only people that get to drive around in cars, so we're probably the smartest. So we could say that. What else? In that verse, what would you find? Yeah. We're created in God's image. Are the elephants in God's image? No. So what do you think that means, that we're created in God's image? Yeah. He delights in us. There's something about you that pictures God. The elephant doesn't do that. The whale doesn't do that. They glorify God, but somehow you're different. Um, as a matter of fact, you are so different that if God entered the creation, the only part of the creation he could enter into and go, yeah, okay, I can fit here, he could enter a human life. Wow. He could not become a whale. He could not become an elephant. But he go, I can express who I am in that. 
you are in the image of God. So, there's something really important to God in what it means to be human. So there's something about being human that's really amazing to God. Now, when we look at these verses, what are all the things that they tell us about human life? Give me all the facts about human life that are in that. We're male and female? Okay, what about all the other things? What? Okay, that'd be one thing. Rule. Anything else? That's what we do, but what about what we... What's that? Okay, yeah, so there's a we in God. There's a plurality in God. And there's a plurality in us. So what I want you to draw out is when God tells us we're made in his image, there's only one thing he tells us about himself. He tells us he's plural. He's a we. And when he tells us about what we are, there's only one thing he tells us about us. We are male and female. Okay. That can raise a lot of questions. Like, well, maybe the Mormons are right. Maybe God's, you know, mom and dad up there having spirit babies. But we know that's not true from lots of other verses. But, and if we were to study this much more in depth, we could come up with a lot more uh, specifics out of this. But let's just say this. There's something about male and there's something about female that captures some dimension of God. And we're not told anything else that we weren't, we weren't told they're smart. Oh, and God made them the smartest. Or God made them the whateverest. Or God made them anything except God made them male and female. So what are you and I supposed to take away from this verse? What is it that is God's image that is of all things most fundamental? It must be the expression of male and female. It must be the expression of the masculine and the feminine that somehow capture the realities of what's inside God. That love and goodness and all the fruits of the Spirit can be expressed in different dimensions that are captured there. So there's something very important about expressing whatever maleness is supposed to be, and there's something very important about expressing whatever femaleness is supposed to be. And to relate to the questions of our day, do you think after God left when he was all done here, do you think, male, do you think Adam and Eve got together and they kind of looked at one another and said, okay, you know, do you want to be the boy or should I be the boy? Who should be the boy? Did they have that conversation? They probably didn't. It was real clear. As a matter of fact, if we read through Genesis 2, it is absolutely, completely clear. What God intends in expressing what it means to be male and what God intends in expressing what it means to be female. And normally when I talk about this, I have a, a six-week class and it takes absolutely every minute of six weeks to, to walk all this through. So we won't be able to look into the depth of all that. Um, but I just want to go through a couple things here. Um, and, and recognizing that, that of all that God made about man, wouldn't it be true, must it not be true, that this whole male-female thing is really important to God? It's got to be a big deal to him. This is his thing. 
So our culture looks around, they act like it's their thing. Like, oh, you know, I don't know, what do you want to think about it? Well, I'm about here, I want to be this, I want to be this. And God looks around and goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is my deal. You're into my deal. I made this. I made it to accomplish this, and I made it this way. I'm already ahead of you. I'm already here. This is my thing. That's what the Bible tells us. So we enter into something that God has already put in place. So it's very important to him. It's the only thing he tells us about his creation of man. So God has created men and women to be different physically, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, and intellectually. Um, one of the things I sometimes do is go through all the differences that have been, that has been discovered by people that have uh, uh, the DNA of female and the DNA of male. The, the differences physiologically, so many different ways, are, are huge. God has made us different. Um, there's a reason for that. There's something he is enabling both male and female to bring into the creation. And God has, has shaped us to do that. Okay? God created those differences because men and women are to express different dimensions of his nature. And you and I are to look at it, and this is our challenge. The lines have fallen to be in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Can we look at that and go, God, the way you made me, it's good. It's good. I trust you in that. I apply faith in that. This is a picture I love. It's um, from the Ark in Kentucky, the, uh, the full-size picture of the Ark. Um, and and the, one of the reasons I like it is because I really believe that there was an actual, real, historical moment, something like this. Um, and, and there was this astonishing world that God created for us. And, you know, in that world is every single thing that would satisfy your heart. God knows that there's a part of you that loves beauty. There's a part of you that loves to explore. You know, if you're like me, there's a part of you that wants to know what's up on the other side of that waterfall. Well, let's just go. Let's just go see where does this come from. There's a part of you that, that, um, that every single thing God's made about you could be satisfied in the creation he made for you. And by the way, in what's coming in heaven... Every single thing in who you are as a human being will be satisfied there. God made you with your desires, and now he goes, and now I'm going to make a world that's going to satisfy every single one of them, and you're going to live there forever. And we lost that. But of course, as we look at that picture, if you're like me, your mind keeps returning to what's right there in the center. Perfect relationship, shared. We're made for that. And it's not two guys and it's not two women. There's some dynamic between the male and female in relationship that captures something of God. So it's also very important to us. That makes it important to me. I am who God made me. 
To understand myself, I have to understand the gender God's given me. Who are you? You're going to ask that a lot in the next 10 years. Who am I? Who am I? Where do you get your answers? God says, I'll give you your answers. <coughs> and for some of you guys, God says, you're a man. You're male. That's where I will meet you. That's where I will walk with you. I will walk with you as a man. And to some of you, he said, you are a woman. That's where I will meet you. That's where I will walk with you as a woman. That's pretty profound. God knows us intimately. He does not just walk with us generically because he didn't make us generically. He walks with us as a human being made in his image in one of these two places. He walks with me as a man. Okay. Most of us understand this whole concept of masculine and feminine. And what's inside us, that natural understanding we have? You know, for me, I can look at these two pictures. There's, there's, a, there's a man, I guess, a guy, and there's a woman. And when you look and you, your heart goes, okay, so masculine and feminine, or, or where am I even my own heart is at? Um, there's a picture of male and female. And here's a picture of male and female. What do you think captures more what God was trying to picture? Here's a picture of men and women together all out getting the bad guy together. All together in the battle. Here's another picture. My wife gave me this, this next picture, put it up in our bedroom years and years ago. Um, uh, and it's painted, painted by a guy, guy named Edmund uh, Layton long ago. And there's a bunch of soldiers that have already gone through the gate, and there's this guy there, and there's a man and a woman in the battle. But they're not both carrying swords. And when you see the picture up close and you catch the expression between them, and still you can't see it very well. Um, you, you catch there's a tremendous communication going on between them. And, and just like in the previous picture, both of them are in a situation that requires courage. And just as in the previous picture, both of them are bringing a strength to this battle but they don't bring the same strength. And it's an entirely different picture than what our world knows about. Which of those captures more the heart of God? And, and, and really, our lives orient one of two directions as we think that through. None of us ever live out any of those pictures perfectly. 
But what are we called to? What are we called to? And who are we created to be? And so the last part of this, I just want to go to, through two different dimensions that I believe are, are in the Bible about manhood and womanhood. Um, and you might agree with these. You might be offended by these. You might feel, in, hopefully, you're, you know, you're going to find whatever. I think you'll probably feel insecure and inadequate in these. Um, but I want to talk about God's glory in manhood and God's glory in, in womanhood. in things that uh, are different than where we're called to. So God's going in manhood. Normally I talk to three different things, but I just picked one. Um, and I've talked about strength. You know, the Bible talks about men. A lot of you guys here are young men. Um, but you know what? God says the manhood is about strength. In 1 Corinthians 16, it says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. You know, it doesn't just say act like good Christians. Act like faithful people. It says act like men. There's a calling there in manhood that is different. David told his son Solomon when he was about to die. He called his son Solomon to him and he gave him, you know, the dad speech sort of. And, and uh Part of his dad's speech, he said this, Be strong. Show yourself a man. There will be times in life where God says he wants you to stand in a gap. There will be times in life where that will be your calling, to be strong. First John chapter 2, it says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Young men are strong. And the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so when God looks down at you, and he sees his image in you, there is a calling in that. And it could be there will be very few other voices that will ever call you that direction. God's voice calls you that direction. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. There is a strength there that you are to walk in. One of my favorite men in the Bible is Boaz. I love it because I really love how the people who knew him viewed him. And uh, we won't go into this at length, but there's a place where there was a lot hanging on the line and, and Naomi found out that Boaz had taken responsibility for it. And she she says to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. It's always been my desire to be Boaz, that when people look at me and they go, he's on it, he's got it. Don't worry about it. John took it up. He'll get it done. God wants that to be true of you, young men that you grow and you mature and you become someone upon whom God can hang responsibility. That is part of manhood. God wants to hang responsibility upon you, not just for your own life. God wants to hang responsibility upon you for other things. And 
As a man, God has created me to express strength in conforming the creation to the goodness of God's will, to look out in the creation and go, I am going to use my strength to bring that into conformity with the way God wants things to be. What would please Jesus? I want to change that and move that and shape that to please Jesus. I want to bring my strength to that. To engage proactively. What does that mean? It means to take headship over. Well, there's a word that can really be controversial. To take headship over or responsibility for that which God has given me. Increasingly, are there areas in your life that when they're in your circle, you really own them. You take responsibility. You steward them for God. You take responsibility for his creation. It means to initiate love and care and blessing and affirmation with those over whom God has given me headship. This is my circle. I'm to love and care here. To proactively expend my life, to provide all that is good for those whom God has given me headship. You lay down your life for the things that God has given you responsibility for and to lead those over whom God has given me headship into that which is good and right. With the people that are in your circle, are you taking their their world are you helping take their life into that which is good you know when i was a young single guy in the church um more and more i was called into responsibility and i was single till i was 28 of just caring for how things were going with the people around me and stepping into that and yet i think mostly We're called to be guys. And I think I may have shared this at DTC last year, but I just want to go over it with you guys again. Um, Because I think there's a a picture of maleness that is very self-oriented, very weak, very selfish, and that you are called into by lots of voices. Um, And I want you to be able to distinguish between those two voices. The voice of God's perspective, calling me into a manhood that proactively brings good and to, to, to work and speak against that voice, calling men to be self-oriented, selfish, and really abusive and exploitive. That is not manhood. So to walk in these things is to walk in my God-intended masculinity. So, I use the term guys here to refer to that other view. They really, brothers, you can have two views of who you are. I'm a man or I'm a guy. And the world's going to call you just to be a guy. And God calls you to be men. And so here's the contrast I observe between them and the things that you and I have to constantly choose against and choose for. Oh, we're not going to get them one at a time. Okay. So let's just look at the first line there. Men take headship. Guys allow independence and autonomy. 
So in your world around you, do you ever feel like you want to call people to that which is good, or you just, do you just let everybody do whatever they want to do? Now, some of you guys are young enough that you're not really in a place of responsibility yet, but one day you will be responsible. And in that responsibility, do you just let whatever happen? Or do you take responsibility and go, no, 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 let's circle this up. Let's, let's move this in a good direction. Do you call others to good? The second one is to initiate love and care and blessing and affirmation. But a guy, they're just responders. And they expect a 50-50 relationship. I did my part. I did my part. Hey, I don't have to do any more. I mean, I picked up that one. You pick up that one. But that's not what Jesus calls you to. And, and brothers, God wants you to see yourself as you go through life. More and more, you move into initiation. You don't just respond. You don't just walk in and respond. That is not manhood. Number three, men expend their lives to provide what's good for others. Guys, on a good day, will take responsibility for themselves. Is that your good day? Well, hey, I did my part. But remember, God wants to do way more than that. He wants to hang upon you responsibility for way more than your own life. And number four, lead others into what is good or give others what they want and avoid conflict. And for God to express himself in the world. So when Jesus was on the earth, he did those first things. Um, and that's what he calls us to do. And as you love him, as you go, I am tracking with him. That's where he'll want to meet you. And that's what he'll want you to walk in. That's where Jesus will go with you. And as you grow in your relationship with him, that's where he'll be. Now, there's one more area here. And it relates to that verse at the bottom, Proverbs 31. Do not give your strength to women or that which destroys kings, or your ways to that which destroys kings. And as you understand the greatest battle that we face as men, and especially as young men, is the battle of sexual temptation. There's something God has made in there that is so powerful. It is the most powerful human experience within the creation. And it is being completely exploited today to your loss. It's being used to exploit and to manipulate. And, and in your sexual desire and strength, young men, is your strength. And you know that. Oh, you sense that. When your sexual desire goes the wrong way, you do not feel like men. When I do men's seminars, I say there are no adult bookstores. There's only little boy bookstores. Little boys go into those stores. Little boy stores. That's what they are. And everyone that goes in knows that. There is no manhood in that. 
So guys, they give their sexual interest to every opportunity their day brings them. They just delight in sitting around and finding times when they can indulge in that, in what they see or what they do. But men understand that their sexual interest is only to be given to one woman when they have taken full responsibility, headship in marriage for that woman. And I just want to encourage all you men, all of us, set your heart to not give your strength to that which destroys kings. You are a king. Fight that battle. And here's my, oh, golly, we can't even do this. So we'll have to go on. Okay. So, Here's the first time this challenge came up in history. Genesis chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So she was clueless. She didn't know what was going on. She got deceived. She didn't know. But then God comes along. Adam eats the fruit. God comes along and he speaks to Adam. And why did the world fall? What was the sin? How did Adam sin? Yeah, thinking he knew best. And what did he, what, where did he go wrong? What did God tell him? Where did he go wrong? He didn't lead. The first thing we're told is, because you listened to your wife. Because you hearkened unto the voice of your wife. In other words, you didn't lead her. You let her lead you. She was probably completely freaked out because she knew that something was really wrong. And he should have followed God. He did not initiate. Brothers, there will be times where your strength will be called upon to keep things in the right place. Okay. Manhood is, first of all, to be received from God. It's something you bring to, not something you get from human relationships. You won't get a lot of affirmation for your manhood from, um, from the world. But you need to bring it. God gives it to you. God gives it to you, and you bring it. God gives it to you, and you bring it. God gives it to you, and you bring it. And if you will grow in your understanding of your Christian life, not just in learning Bible verses and Bible doctrine, but if you will grow in understanding what God is calling you to in living out your image of God as a man, you will bring great good into the world. Okay. God's glory in womanhood. Or I have quiet beauty. This can really be a challenging concept because the world has so distorted and destroyed what beauty means. Um, but God created 
you know, God created women to be beautiful in a way he did not create men to be that way. It's part of the difference. And, and um, it also is a source of tremendous exploitation and hurt in the world. But we can look at some of the things God tells us. Uh, oh, so I want to think here, speak a little bit about the stereotype of what's not true. We're told in the Bible, in the fullness of womanhood is strength and dignity. Proverbs 31 tells us she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. So there's a profound strength in men, and there's a profound strength in women, but it is not the same. The strength and dignity of womanhood is different than that of manhood. And this is Calvin and Hobbes. I have a hammer, and I can put things together. I can knock things apart. I can alter my environment at will and make an incredible din all the while. It's so great to be male. So there's something truth in there, isn't there? There aren't too many girls that like to just bang around, make a bunch of noise, and whack things together. It's just not, it's not the same. It's different. It's a different strength. Um, some, verse, some, some quotes that I've picked up that I like. When men and women agree, it's only in their conclusions. The reasons are always different. That's certainly been my experience. An old actor lady said this, the woman's vision is deep-reaching, the man's is far-reaching. With the man, the world is his heart. With the woman, the heart is her world. I found that to be true. I like this quote from Aristotle Onassis. He married Jacqueline Kennedy. He said, if, all, if women didn't exist, all the money in the world would have no meaning. He's a really, really rich guy. Um, but, you know, there's something you bring as women that if that is not present, nothing else has meaning. It's the way God made it. It's the way God made it. There's something magical there that God has put in, in, in that place. And God's creation of feminine beauty is described in First Peter. It says, your beauty should be the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, in God's sight. And so there is a part of womanhood that recognizes this reality. You know, as a man, there's no verses that talk to me about my, how, how to work with being handsome. It's not part of who I am. I don't think that much about my appearance. Sometimes it's to a great dismay of my wife. I just don't, I just miss so much. For me, I want you to be impressed, not with what I look like, but I want you to be impressed with what I can do. That's more how masculinity is wired. It isn't me. I don't care about me. It's what can I do? Are you impressed with what I can do? But with women, it's your identity is the focus of who you are. It's about you. It's about you. And that's part of how God's designed that. And it's good. And it's an expression of himself. It's an expression of the image and nature of God. And so God's word for that in the beauty of you is, is, um, is beauty. And the wonder of you. And in First Peter, it says more at length, don't let your adorning in the ESV be external. 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Well, there's a nice controversial verse right there. Let me just share some things that you can consider and own in there. I think this is an amazing thing, that word adorning. It says, do not let your adorning be external. That's a noun uh, in the Greek, and it's actually the word cosmos. Cosmos in the New Testament is used 187 times, or that may be the whole Bible. Uh, But every other time it's used, 186 times, it's translated world. This is the only place it's not translated that way. That's interesting. It's translated adorning. So really what it could be is don't let the world of you, don't let who you are, don't let the world of who you are be external. Don't let the world of who you are be about the outward parts. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear. But let that world be the hidden person of the heart. And what's true of that hidden person? That hidden person of the heart is capable of imperishable beauty. There's something about womanhood that God has created to be beautiful. And and it's not the outward, the world of you, the beauty of you, the beauty of you is not the outward. Now, there is a natural outward beauty, but that natural outward beauty is, is representative. It's what God gives almost as an adornment for the real beauty of what womanhood is. And what's the beauty of womanhood? It's something that's imperishable, and it's a gentle and quiet spirit. It's faith and trust, which in God's sight is very precious. So God right here is on record as saying, hey, there's something about what I've made you that is very beautiful to me, God says. It's very beautiful to me, and it's a gentle and quiet spirit. And we could go through those words and learn a ton by looking at that, but we don't have time to do that. This is how the holy women in the past adorned themselves. And so if I could say to anything to you, you my sisters, I would say, I just, I just, in one sense, I want to apologize. I want to ask forgiveness. I want to repent and confess the horrible evil that's been pushed upon women in our world today that says that beauty is measured exclusively by what is outward. And I ask you, and I, I beg you to believe this verse, that there's something so beautiful about you in the nature that you bring, in the feminine quality that God has created of, of uniting and trusting and, and, and entering, bringing your courage in that which is vulnerable and uniting and supportive. My wife is not as physically beautiful as she was when I married her. But there is something as beautiful today as it was then when she brings herself to me and unites with me and supports me. There is a beauty there that is like, I will die for that. 
And for you all to believe that's true, though no one is going to tell you that. No one else, there's no voices except the voice of God that will say, I, you are made to be beautiful in the womanhood God has created for you. And along with that will come a physical beauty that is, that is an, exp, an outward expression of what is possible on the inside. But there is an unfading beauty that you can never lose. That's beautiful to God. And that truth is so lost, so lost. But I do want you to trust and believe that the men around you, when they see that in you, there is something very beautiful in that that, that, that reaches out and grabs their heart. And if it doesn't, you don't want to have anything to do with them. There's a couple other places it talks about this. Second Timothy, it says, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair, gold or pearls, expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And it's getting at the same point. But I just want to tell you this. Um, you know, men are not to give their strength to women. And I want you to understand that that there is a way that you speak to a man and you ask him to engage with you. Um, and, and when you speak that in, in, in almost an, uh, a very nonverbal way, you speak to him about what he's supposed to bring to you. Women today are, 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 are shaped and encultured to, to speak to a man and say, I want to invite you to engage with me through who I am physically, through who I am sexually. I'm going to dress in a way that says to you, you can think about me this way. And when you draw a man to yourself that way, they come and they go, you don't get them as men, you get them as guys. You get them as boys. You get the little boy in them. But when you speak and you, you project to a man, I want your care. I want your protection. I want you to be responsible for me. I want to approach you in that feminine beauty God has created and ask for your God-created masculinity. Then you get a man that says, I will care for you. You will be safe with me. I will protect you. The world will tell you to ask for the wrong things. Ask a man for his strength as a man. Be safe to him. When you ask that from him, good men will bring that to you. They will draw a circle around you and say, you will be safe with me. That's what you're asking for. That's what I bring. But so many women in the world invite a man to think about them differently. And then they wonder, why do I get all this selfishness? Why do I get all this selfishness? Well, you don't even understand it. But that's what you're asking for. And it all goes a different direction than the way God created it. Okay, I think we're done here. Womanhood is, first of all, to be lived for God. Don't live your womanhood for a man. 
don't live it for a man. God gave it to you. Live your womanhood for God. Now, you can bring it into the world, but you live it for God. It's something you bring to human relationships as a way to be beautiful to God. And God will lead you to bring that womanhood to bless the world and one day lead you perhaps to entrust that womanhood to a man when he's taken headship for you as a woman. God's ministers, men and women, I will give thanks for you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Can we say that in our heart? God, this is how you've made me. It's good. It's good. I, I feel so inadequate. I fall so far short. But it's what I want to be. It's what I want to be. Help me be this.